welcome to Today in Space, the all things space science podcast. As always, I am your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex G. Orfanos. We're recording this from planet Earth. As Artemis 1 travels the moon, the date is December 5th, 2022. And here's what we're going to talk about this week. In our last episode, we reviewed the NASA Artemis 1 mission leading up to the first lunar flyby as it was on its way to enter DRO, or Distant Retrograde Orbit, which is a highly fuel-efficient orbit that is around the moon. Great for a test flight just like this. This episode, we review Orion's time at the moon in DRO, including the start of its trip back to Earth, using the moon as a slingshot on its second and final flyby of the moon. We'll review flight days 10 through 20, including the five days in distant retrograde orbit. Flight day 20 is today, and we'll share interesting facts and observations from its time there, including some of the incredible images and the flawless performance of both Orion and the European Space Agency's service module. We'd love to know your favorite moments from the mission so far, and what we'd love for you to do is send us a message on social media, comment, or email us at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We will close out this episode chatting about our plans for the new year as this first lunar trip in a half century has us super excited about the future. I'll share a little bit about my process, some tips, and definitely challenges of planning for 2023. I am uh, currently recovering from a cold, so if my voice sounds a little weird... I'm trying not to cough like crazy, so we'll see how this goes. And I know I'm not alone. I know pretty much everyone has a cold right now, so be healthy. Let's get into this episode. And Before we start, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Manscaped, Estes Rockets, and of course, our 3D printing lab, EG3D. Let's begin with flight day 10 of Artemis 1. All right, folks, remember, these are the 10 days that the Artemis mission for Artemis 1, which is this test flight where we're, you know, theoretically we're testing the spacecraft in as many different ways as possible, including the rocket, including the service module that the European Space Agency has made for this mission specifically. It's how Orion moves around uh, as it's in orbit to adjust as it's traveling around the moon. It's kind of wild to see these images. Again, we talked about this last episode. This is the first time that, at least in my lifetime, and I know many of us that listen to this podcast, it's the first time in our lives that we've had a mission around the moon with a spacecraft capable of sending humans to the moon. And some of the feelings I know I've had, and I'm sure you've had, of these images as they come back, and then the dichotomy of looking at the moon as we're here on Earth and just thinking and wondering about what it's like out there, We've got some incredible images, so, so I'm really excited to share that. If you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see those. We'll put those up as we're talking about the mission. But let's talk about Flight Day 10. So on Flight Day 10, Orion entered the distant retrograde orbit. While it was there, one of the things that the mission for Artemis 1, not only is it pushing the capability of this spacecraft and system that's going to send humans the next all the times after this, one of the things it was also designed specifically to do was to push the boundaries of how far a human-rated spacecraft has gone before. On day 11, 
uh, Orion surpassed the Apollo 13 record, the distance that they took as they made that adjusted orbit to give themselves more time. You know, the oxygen tank on board Apollo 13 burst, which made it impossible for them to land on the moon and also save the crew. So they had to put themselves into an orbit that allowed them to figure things out while they were on the way there. And for Apollo 13, the farthest that they got was 248,655 miles from Earth. And on flight day 11, Orion passed that Apollo 13 record. And then for the next few days, Orion actually ended up going to the max distance, ironically, on flight day 13, although I would probably wager that was planned. The Orion capsule reached 268,563 miles, almost 270,000 miles from Earth. And the scope of that is, is really crazy. This podcast is brought to you by Estes Rockets. We really appreciate the partnership we have here with Estes Rockets. We ran the Falcon 9 giveaway from uh, the SpaceX rocket, the official SpaceX rocket. Uh, the winner is going to be receiving that Falcon 9 very shortly. It's on its way down the coast to them, which is awesome. But if you're looking to get a rocket for yourself, uh, or anyone else in your life, especially if you have a young one and you're trying to get them into something cool or maybe they have an interest in science, Estes Rockets is a great place to have something where you can bond and enjoy the the joys of rocket science in your own backyard or, or wherever you live where you're able to launch rockets. So if you are looking to get that, right now Estes is running their 12 days of Estes. I think they're on day seven right now where they're having sales each day on specific things in the store. But always you can use our code IN underscore Alex to get 10% off at estesrockets.com. It's going to help you get rockets. It's not going to include sales, things like this, and it's not going to include engines, but it will include everything else in the store. So go into uh, estesrockets.com, use our code word IN underscore Alex, get 10% off things in the store. And maybe you're not looking for the, the Falcon 9 rocket. I mean, look, we, we have here, we picked this up a little while ago here. This is the commemorative edition of the Saturn V rocket, which obviously is coming in real handy as we're experiencing, we're talking about this episode, the moon mission, Artemis One. The Apollo program was obviously uh, a big thing, and this one is actually the Apollo 11 commemorative edition, which is really cool. But under IN underscore Alex, get 10% off at Estes Rockets and uh, get something good for yourself as someone that you love. Uh, for the holidays. And that's it, folks. Thank you, Estes Rockets, for your support and for sponsoring the podcast. Let's get back to the show. And, and one of the things that's that's really important about what's different about what we've been doing for decades, which is low Earth orbit for the International Space Station, there are lots of things that can happen. And there's it's certainly not s that safe to be in low Earth orbit, although it is safer than the moon. Going to the moon requires a whole nother safety margin to protect the astronauts from the harshness that's outside of our influence of planet Earth. One of those things is radiation, highly energized particles. We'll talk about one of the uh, payloads that's on board that helps with that. But going outside the Van Allen belt is a big deal, that belt of radiation. And you have to make sure that the mission is actually capable of protecting the astronauts and so that's one of the things that it's doing here. 
aside from defending yourself from the elements, on day 12 of the flight, they tested the star trackers and the reaction control thrusters, which are there to help adjust the spacecraft as it's moving to make sure that it's on point. Again, you're you're basically threading a needle the entire time, and having those thrusters and extra fuel on board is super important to make sure that you can make an adjustment when the slightest thing could be off. So a lot of that is thanks to European Space Agency's service module that has performed tremendously well. And in space, you know, it's, it's great to have these thrusters and know where to go and to try and thread the needle. But once you're in space and you lose track of exactly where you are because of the giant scale of everything, having star trackers on board to actually view the starscape that's out there, because it's so infinite and so far out there, they almost become static things that you can address yourself to and, and figure out where you are. I'll tell a quick story real quick. In college, one of the classes that was arguably one of the most difficult uh, and, and, and definitely the most dry was, like my throat right now, uh, was guidance, navigation, and control, which arguably is one of the most important things to make sure that you have down and you're, you're not guessing. Guidance, navigation, and control is super important because you need to know where you are. And only once you know where you are can you make those moves. It's not like here on Earth where you're driving a car, you get lost, and you're like, oh, I'll just find a gas station and we'll pull over and I'll get more gas. There is no gas station in space right now. There are some companies working on it for satellites in orbit, but that's not something you can get more of in space unless you send something like nuclear energy or nuclear pellets or some kind of energy to have a very large amount of thrust and propulsion to use. So knowing where you are is super important so that you can make very strategic and focused moves so that you can make the most of your time up there and not waste fuel. The more fuel you have as your margin, as we'll talk about later, it's all the better. And one thing I'll note, NASA's done a great job of sharing the progress of the Artemis mission. And each of these has a blog that is accompanied to it. They've even had a series, uh, a podcast, I believe, where they've actually been going deeper into the mission and there's obviously been media briefings and plenty of content out there for the Artemis mission. But if you want to check out each of these days and dive into them, what we're trying to do here is give you a bite-sized Artemis mission recap. The last mission we went launched to entering lunar orbit. And here we're talking about the entire time in lunar orbit. You can check out all of those blog posts on each day. And those are available in the episode's link, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever else you listen to your podcast or watching us here on YouTube. All of those links will be there if you want to check those out. Now, the distant retrograde orbit that the Artemis mission spent around the moon here with Orion and uh, the ESA's service module spent five days in distant retrograde orbit. And of the entire 10 days that we spent at the moon, they did a lot of things. You know, one of the one of the wild things for this mission was that on their way out towards the end, they got under 100 miles to the surface on both flybys. And there were some spectacular images of the dark side of the moon, or I should say the back side of the moon, because it's almost never always dark, as that's why we have phases of the moon on our side here. But 
we got some incredible images of the moon's surface with cameras that weren't even really made to look super in-depth at the surface. But the Orion capsule is super interesting because on each of the four arms of solar panels, it has a camera that it uses to look both at the spacecraft and at what's there. And they were able to articulate those arms fully in rotation and move them around. And it's a really fascinating spacecraft from that perspective. Someone that took classes that was specifically around designing spacecraft. This kind of a spacecraft is something that you always wanted to design and have the ability to adjust on the fly. I remember, and this is not that long ago, the mantra of teaching students back in the day, at least where I went to college, was only use what's flown before. Flight heritage, as they call it. Now, in my older years, I can say flight heritage, very important for the fact that you need to have flight heritage on components in general so that you understand how they work in space. Over time, you should be able to apply that to other things and spend less and less time qualifying them to fly. And I've waxed on uh, and, and complained about the, the extreme that we went to back in those days for flight heritage. But really, in, in the old days, a mission like this uh, was not possible. And, and you saw with the level that NASA has to go to to ensure the safety of human life because there is no room for failure for NASA here in that, in that regard. It took a long time for these components to get up and out into space so that they could fly. Now, the Orion capsule itself already flew around the moon in 2014, and it was just the capsule that uh, flew around. The European Space Agency's service module was not there. It was something that was added on as the mission grew and they were trying to figure out how to make this work. And it's really fascinating because the mission itself, even just the orbital mechanics, needs to have the spacecraft in sunlight a certain amount of time, almost all the time. And so that, that limits the windows that things can launch, which was the struggle of getting this mission off the ground in the first place. Uh, one of the problems getting the mission off the ground in the first place. It's complex just to plan if everything goes perfectly. But it's really cool to see something like this that Lockheed Martin helped build uh, for the Orion spacecraft and, of course, uh, the European Space Agency. But to see them work in tandem and for them to have worked so well together is so great to see. And all of that hard work and money that it took to get us to this point we're getting some incredible images and uh, mission of a lifetime, really. And this has only just begun. This is just the first stage where we test the spacecraft before we put humans on there. And from here, we're going to be sending a lot of human beings uh, at a time. Uh, one of the things that's on board is a mannequin, uh, a moonkin, I think as it's called. And one of the cool things about that is one of the moonkins is called, is named after Arturo Campus, who was the instrumental person in making sure that the Apollo 13 astronauts could get back, managing the electrical power and draw that they had so that they could turn on the right systems in the right order in order to make sure they had all the systems ready to land. The Moonikin is gathering data for the astronaut, how they're secured in the seat for the more extreme, higher levels of thrust and 
and vibrations and also picking up what they're ex- what the moonikin is experiencing in flight in deep space around the moon so that they can then apply that and make adjustments for when they actually put humans on board and one of the instruments that is super critical in that is the hera instrument instrument and hera stands for hybrid electronic radiation assessor it measures charged particles that pass through the sensors and what it's going to do is it's going to warn astronauts on artemis 2 and beyond if there is a solar energetic particle event so that they can take cover and that's super important because you do not want energetic particles going through your body that is going to mess you the up deep space is harsh Hera is also not the first Hera. There is also a Hera instrument that is aboard the International Space Station that is there for the same reason, to let those astronauts know in the event that, hey, maybe there is some kind... I've always thought about this. You know, what's going to happen if there is some kind of solar event like a... God, I'm, I'm blanking on what the term is right now. Oh, a coronal mass ejection, a CME, which is a bunch of plasma shooting out from the sun, and that's the type of thing that... It, we think destroyed Mars's atmosphere. It's also the thing that throughout history, as as we've had elect, uh, electricity, has, has knocked out power grids in the early days of us having electricity. And uh, also recently we've had different events. These are also the things that help in smaller quantities make our auroras. Those are energized particles that are hitting the atmosphere and showing off that light. Too much of that energetic particle Uh, amount and you're going to have problems as a human being so the long story short is that energetic particles are not good and it's great what they're doing to prepare all of this to to happen and and to make sure that the the human beings that are going to be on board for artemis 2 and for artemis 3 when we send the first woman and the first person of color to step foot on the moon we want those people to be safe and to return so we can enjoy and celebrate their accomplishment Are you looking to stuff someone's stocking this holiday season? Well, thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, we have the best tools to offer for either yourself or if you're buying a gift for somebody else. Manscaped has everything that you need for your holiday needs, whether it's getting the Platinum Package 4.0, it has loads of little presents, perfect for stocking stuffers. What's better than the gift of good hygiene and a few laughs? Manscaped offers a handful of their liquid formulation, shampoos, body washes, upstairs and downstairs deodorant, gels, exfoliants, absolutely everything that they could need to keep it clean. And again, one of the things we love about Manscaped is that it makes manscaping and men's hygiene so much simpler. I mean, you can just check right here. My beard had gotten pretty crazy. I had been sick. The holidays just let it grow and it got pretty wild but i was able to tame the beast with the manscaped lawnmower 4.0 not only do they give you the tools that you need they help make the experience of men's grooming easier and simpler so that you don't have to overthink it you can just grab your gear and go but there's also things like the shears 2.0 if you're looking for a full kit for nail care with scissors clippers tweezers and a file for the traveling man there is the new Persevere Cologne, which is brings a light, breezy, woodsy feel and gives that fresh tree scent even after the holidays are over. They also have come out with their Body Buffer, which, if you're still using a loofah that holds all that bacteria, gross! 
you can throw that out and get this new body scrubber, the body buffer, that feels smoother and acts tougher. And then, of course, like we talked about before, the Lawnmower 4.0 is my go-to. It is the electric razor with advanced skin-safe technology. It's a life changer and known for reducing nicks and cuts. Manscaped is here to make holiday shopping a blast by giving products that they'll love and make them laugh at the same time. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code SPACE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code SPACE and Manscaped is the perfect gift that will be the holiday's biggest hit. So thank you, Manscaped, for being a sponsor. Really appreciate the partnership we have with them and makes a great gift for the man in your life. Might even be you. (laughs) It's okay to take care of yourself. So manscaped.com, 20% off free worldwide shipping, co-word space. Let's get back to the show. So that deep space testing on day 14 and beyond is super important. And and we're going to get that data. And NASA's done a really good job. I'm very, very impressed. And I want to give props to the NASA team. There's so much content and so much to cover for the Artemis mission. And they had to go through a lot of... I'm sure, emotional uh, struggle to keep themselves in the right mindset to keep pushing through so that they get to this point, right, where they're actually testing Artemis 1. And we talked about this before. Orion has flown before back in 2014. And, you know, uh, the Orion capsule has specifically without the European Space Agency's service module. Uh, And I talked about it earlier, but I want to discuss some of the aspects of the service module because it it was not on there on that original mission. And so let's talk about what they've added, which has made this mission partly a huge success. So the Orion service module contains 33 engines for propulsion. And that is in many different areas again, so that you can orient yourself in space. Again, those star trackers, super important to know where you are. Those 33 engines for propulsion help do that, but it's not just propulsion that it's, it's using and helping out this mission. It also supplies electricity, thermal control, air, and water, as well as propulsion. So it is a critical piece of the infrastructure for human life to exist on Artemis One and beyond. And so we're going to get to see how well it performs in those aspects. But we know the propulsion aspect it has done tremendously well. And it's been super efficient in its fuel. The spacecraft, this was uh, as the date that we recorded this, they had 2,004 pounds of margin available that was beyond the planned uh, amount of fuel that they thought they'd have at that point, which is truly, truly incredible. And so flight day 15, the teams pulled go for DRO departure so that they could then finish their orbit, their five days around the moon, and then perform their final flyby on flight day 20, which was December 5th, and return home. And it's, it's really, truly an amazing mission. I, 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 hear, I hear myself repeating myself, but I, that's how exciting this mission has been to watch and to really just soak it in so that we can, so that I can really see this mission that has kind of spanned this entire podcast, which is kind of crazy. You know, when you think about that first Orion capsule mission that flew on a Delta IV Heavy, 
that was 2014. That was that was it feels like ages ago, almost an entire decade ago. And man, has the industry changed? And actually, it it reminds me that our background, our today in space background. If you've seen that, if you see the thumbnail for this podcast or the background that we've had pretty much since the very beginning that I drew myself, I think I'm going to have to draw another one because we now are in this scenario where these are not the spacecraft that reign at this time. But back in 2014, you had Kepler, you had the Rosetta mission, Voyager, and of course the Delta IV Heavy with Orion up top. We are in a totally different era, and that needs to be adjusted for 2023, so look out for that. And now we are on day 17. They were fine-tuning the orbits. Again, they did so well that that final fine-tuning that they did on the orbit required that much less fuel than it did before. And, uh, I mean, it's it's always better when you're closer and don't have to make as many adjustments. Day 18, Orion entered the lunar sphere of influence again, again, on its second flyby after it had reached its max distance away from Earth and the moon, came back in to use moon the moon as a gravitational slingshot. In our day 18, it was approximately 39,993 miles from the lunar surface. Flight day 19 leading into flight day 20, they closed in as, as close as 80 miles to the surface. I believe they were even closer than that in reality. And they got some incredible mission images, even taking a snapshot of the Apollo mission landing sites. Again, those cameras were not designed to take high-quality photos of that. So they are uh, there. There will be high-quality photos, HD photos that will come out, and people will process those. But it just goes to show you if the Apollo landing on the surface of the moon, as close as 80 miles to the surface, right? Let's just give it an extra. Let's go a little bit further, right? 80 miles from the surface. If it's that hard to see with these cameras, imagine how hard it is to actually see them from Earth. And hopefully we'll be seeing more of that. I mean, you know, as Artemis develops and we spend more and more time, we enter this cool phase where we will one day be on the surface of the moon and we may be able to actually travel to those sites and see them again. And I'm sure that will bring up not only a lot of emotional aspects of returning to the moon and seeing these things and, again, confirming that they're actually there, although there will definitely be people that don't believe that's even true, (laughs) but it's also an interesting conversation about historical sites. And as other countries like China and others that start trying to go to the moon, what type of precautions, what type of historical uh, protections are these landing sites going to be given so that they're left undisturbed and in their beauty. I mean, there's kind of that Futurama episode, isn't there, where they, they go to the moon and they it's it's just play parks and what were they, moon hicks? Moon, uh... <laughs> they, yeah, it, it, Futurama's hilarious. So anyways, getting back to the podcast here, I was interested to know if the, you know, I I have, I I luckily have some friends who were able to get me some NASA uh, swag that actually has the mission laid out that was planned earlier this year. So it's not even like it's that old of a document, Uh, but 
there was planning to have a little bit more time around the moon for this testing. And with all this ample fuel, I was wondering if there was any discussion about extending, maybe doing another flyby, a third flyby of the moon in distant retrograde orbit since it was so efficient, since the the service module had done so well at maintaining fuel and all of that, would they have spent more time? And it, that would have been really interesting, but um, at the same time, I totally see why NASA would want to get the spacecraft back, get the data that they need, and return home. But I would love to know. I did uh, tweet uh, Jim Free and the NASA Artemis team that question. I did not get an answer, but I know they're busy. I do not take any offense to that. I just think it would be interesting to hear why. And I, maybe they covered it in some of the media briefings that I didn't go to. But um, you know, moving forward, they're going to be using a different orbit and that orbit will kind of sit like a necklace around the moon, as it's described, uh, near rectilinear halo orbit, I believe it's called. And that will be used more specifically to prepare for what will be needed for the gateway and for eventually going down on the surface of the moon. So this DRO orbit is really meant for this mission. And I'm assuming they use that to prepare for the fact of the variable, which is, you know, we've only sent this with the Orion capsule before. We haven't sent this with the European Space Agency's service module. How well is this going to perform? And clearly, it did extremely, extremely well. And one of the cool things about the Orion spacecraft combo with the service module is we noticed that as it performs thrusts with the propulsion, the four solar panel arms actually wiggle and you can actually see them move and you know that's something when even the vacuum of space obviously that happens on earth here but all those little perturbations as they call them and vibrations and all the little things that gravity kind of like settles out and you know you'll hit a surface and things will just eventually slow down and stop with things in space once things start moving they keep moving and you know, it's going to vibrate throughout the entire thing. Uh, it's part of the reason why when they do thrust maneuvers with the International Space Station to bring it back up to orbit as it slowly degrades and gets dragged by atmosphere and the Earth's gravity closer to the Earth, they have to burn to bring it back up to altitude. It shakes and it bends. And so you can't do it too fast or with too much thrust because you could literally rip it apart. Uh, now I don't think the thrust was going to rip apart those arms. I'm sure they took the data into consideration. I know there's tons of vibrational analysis. I did that on, on uh, uh, my capstone project when I was in school when we worked on a CubeSat to monitor solar weather readings around the, around the planet in a fully sun-facing orbit. So that was always getting sun for those uh, solar panels. You know, it, there's there's you have to survive the vibration of launch, right? Because as you're launching up, that thing is shaking like crazy. You have to survive that just to get into space. And then you also have to take into account, you know, are the thrusts that we're putting into this mission, are they too much? Are they, are they going to ruin this thing <laughs> in space? But there's, whole, there's so many different dynamics that happen in space with low gravity. And, you know, for, think about as well, when you're slingshotting around the moon as they have done on day 20 here and, and finishing up here on day 21, they're on their way back to Earth. And it's a very exciting time. And I have a number here. 
of how far the mission has actually traveled in total. Let me see if I've got this readily available. I think I got it in my notes elsewhere. Ah, there it is. All right, so when this mission is over, it's estimated that the Orion capsule will have traveled 1.4 million miles in total from Earth to the moon, two flybys, and five days in DRO, and then back again. So that is a long distance. And another crazy fact that I remember learning in the last few years, the distance between Earth and the moon, again, it's something we can see. It's, it's our natural satellite. You can go outside today and, and, and look up and, and see it at night, sometimes during the day. And we can fit every planet in our solar system next to each other between us and the moon. That's how much space is between us and the moon, which is a wild thought given how big Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune are to think that all of them could fit between us and our natural satellite, Luna. It's beyond, it's beyond insanity. So with that, I'm looking very much forward to later this week when the Orion capsule makes its way back to Earth. It's going to be coming in for a high-speed re-entry. Again, it's a test flight. They're going to be testing that heat shield, which has had a chance to fly before, but they are going to toss that thing into orbit. It's going to burn up in the atmosphere. The heat shield is going to take that heat, displace it, and then drop it into the ocean so that the NASA recovery teams and the Navy can go recover it. Now, that team, as of today, actually, I was reading a post, it may have even have been yesterday, were already deployed and were testing with a sample Orion spacecraft recovery operations. Because as much as this is a test flight for human stuff, it's also a test for reentry and getting these astronauts off of this capsule afterwards. So this is a big mission to make sure that we can recover this. We've also seen recently with the uptick in the interest in space, we saw this with, I think it was the Inspiration4 mission, people were excited in Florida to go see this, and people were actually driving boats way too close, not following uh, the, the naval warnings about getting too close, uh, because they need a wide berth to be able to do their operations. Can't have just anybody driving a boat through. That's not how it works. So we're... We're definitely probably going to see some of that. Florida is a crazy place, uh, and there's some uh, very interesting people down there. <laughs> so uh, I highly expect there to be lots of crowds and people on boats. I mean, shoot, if I had the opportunity for the last time I was in Florida for Artemis 1, I would have jumped on a boat and gone out with folks. I know a lot of people that went down there that did that same thing. So there's a lot of excitement. On the Space Coast, we have our first human-rated moon mission that's about to land again back on Earth. And I really can't believe that it's here. This podcast is also brought to you by AG3D Printing. AG3D Printing is our 3D printing lab. It helps fund this podcast. You can see we have a few things up here on our shelf that have been 3D printed. We have our Einstein here printed in ABS plastic. One of the first things that we did, super detailed. But we also have our blaster from Han Solo that we 3D printed and painted. There's so much here. 
that we've done to show you what's possible with 3D printing. Relativity Space has their Terran rocket. It's a 3D printed rocket that's about to launch. Uh, of course, we're not supported by them. <laughs> uh, Relativity Space, it's just cool how much influence 3D printing is having in our lives now. And what we wanna do is help show you what's possible. If you're a small business, if you're just an individual, if you're a small business, you're trying to start an idea, you're like, hey, this is a really cool idea for a business. These are tough times, so I don't have, uh, how am I gonna get funding? How am I gonna start something off? You don't have to wait and you don't have to break the bank to get something started. We helped our friends at Snapcaller start their early ideas of their prototypes and now they're a business that's growing and we'll have an affiliate link in this episode if you wanna follow them and support them, click that link. Um, they're also, they have sales on that website when you go there so you can actually get a discount while you're there and clicking that link gives us credit for sending you there. But this is what's possible. 3D printing helps bring ideas into reality and that's what our lab is really good at. And so what you can do is follow us at AG3D Printing on Instagram. That's where we put out our ideas and show you what's possible. You can go to our website, ag3d-printing.com and get a free quote. We'll work with you, we'll get a project out and, and we'll figure out what if we're able to help you. And if, if we do, we will figure out whether we need to help you design something or if you already have a design, we will put it through our slicer and we will give you a quote on how much and how long it will take us to finish that up. And uh, that's a great way to help support this podcast. This is one of the first things that helps support this podcast, keeps the light on here. And that's EG3D Printing. Uh, follow us at EG3D Printing on Instagram. Check us out at eg3d-printing.com. And if you're looking for something cool for the holidays, something, you know, a stocking stuffer, a quick gift, maybe it's a secret Santa or whatever it is that you're doing during the holidays, you can go to ag3dprinting.etsy.com. That's our Etsy shop where we have our designs. You can go check that out. We have things like our James Webb Space Telescope coaster and many, many more. Those are all the ways that you can help support us. Thank you for uh, as always, uh, thinking myself here, uh, AG3D Printing for, for helping fund the podcast here and uh, for all of your support uh, in, in the many, many different ways that you have. So thank you. And uh, let's get back to the show. And I also can't believe that I made it through this episode uh, without my voice going. And what I'm going to do here is just, we'll close out. So thank you. If you have any questions before we, before we finish off with the thoughts on new year, please let me know what you think about this mission. What were the things that really excited you the most? Were there any images that you saw that just really blew you away? And I'm sure there's multiple of them. So let us know, hit us up on Instagram at today in space pod on TikTok at today in space. And we have our YouTube channel today in space, uh, which now has handles. So we're at today in space on YouTube. Of course, we have our Facebook group, Today in Space Podcast, and we're on Twitter at Today in Space Pod. Uh, you can check us out there. Let us know what you're thinking. And of course, you can always email us at Today in Space Podcast at gmail.com. Now, let's finish up with talking about the new year. Uh, before I got sick, uh, I had some time to actually spend Planning for next year, I, I've installed a nice, gigantic whiteboard that uh, uh, I was I was given, a friend found for me, and I have it up in my room. I personally love to do something called mind mapping, which sounds really fancy, but really all it is is brainstorming in a visual manner. That's really all it is. And connecting big ideas so that you can see the patterns and then do something with it. I've been doing that for probably over a decade at this point. 
And uh, I learned that in my days working at the injection molding shop in Connecticut, Westminster Tool. I had some incredible training as it was one of my first jobs. Uh, I was still in school when I started working full-time for them. And I helped with a lot of these big picture things. And this mind mapping tool became a really valuable tool for myself for getting the thoughts in my head down on paper so that, you know, side tangent, for me, I have a lot of thoughts. Clearly, you know, this podcast is kind of filled with a lot of the things that I find interesting in space and I could, that I feel like is I want to share with folks. And then, of course, over the years, I've picked up on whatever you guys want to talk about, and I'm always happy to do that. But I really that's, that's how my brain works. There's a lot of ideas, and they're always flowing. And before I started taking notes and doing this mind mapping thing, it was all kind of chaos. And if I didn't capture it, it just disappeared. And during that time when I was working at Westminster, um, I was I started figuring out that these ideas uh, could hold up over time and I, and I could do them. And through many, many trials and tribulations, especially through this podcast, this podcast has done a ton for me to make me a better human, to make me more focused and, and also present at the same time, right? It's, I think, made me a better human overall. And I, that's thanks to all of you. And one of the things that allows me to do this still by my, by myself for the most part is this kind of planning that I do. And it's, it's an interesting combination of being very complex, but also very simple at the same time, which is the concept for this show. So the planning for this year, this is the second revision of this type of planning that I've done for the podcast. Uh, actually, no, this is the third. I started the first version of this, actually it was the year of the pandemic, 2020. It was the first year I really sat down and planned out what do I want to do for the year. Uh, before I go on, though, that these plans are not like set in stone. I'm not, I'm not like making a plan and sticking to it 100%. I'm giving myself guidelines so that with all of the, with the way that my brain works with ideas shooting all day long, if I don't do that type of planning and give myself guidelines to have those sprints and bursts of thought, it becomes very chaotic and very hectic, and then I feel like I'm losing my way and almost basically going insane. So this planning, this guideline that I do is a big picture view of saying to myself that one, it, it, it's to fight against excuses, I guess is, is the right way to say it. One, it prevents me from saying I don't have time for that because for many, many years, especially when I started doing this podcast and the 3D printing business, I can't tell you how many people I said, uh, I'm sorry, I'm busy, I can't do that or this and that or even when it came down to other things like my own health, I was I was always too busy to take care of myself. So this planning that I do allows me to know that there is enough time, that I have looked at it and, and done an audit of my time and, and have been so honestly brutal with myself about whether or not I was lying to myself, essentially. And now in this third iteration, I every time I do it, it's a little bit easier. But it is always, always a stressful time doing it because you have to be extremely honest with yourself. And, and you have to call yourself out when 
you're not doing something. And, I, and I'm not alone. I have people who help me with this uh, and uh, shepherd me through my madness as as I work through this. But we've come up with our plan for next year and the topics that we want to cover. A lot of it also stems from how you engage with our content. So you're engaging with our content while it helps spread the podcast and promote and, and get and tap into the algorithm so that it can spread out more. It's also what I look at at the end of the year and review throughout the year to see what you're interested in. So a lot of what the plan that we have for next year is based around that. And I, I don't bring this up to get you anxious and make you feel like you have to have a plan. Although if, if you do have questions about that, you can always message me, email me. I'm happy to talk to you about that and share what I use here in, in case that's useful for you. Um, but it's really, for me, it has become something that's been truly, truly valuable. And it's something that I learned working in a small business. And it's something that I think it could be very valuable for all of us. And even if it's just you taking a moment to reflect on the last year, I mean, it has been one hell of a year. I remember thinking earlier in this year, I didn't know what age I was. I'm at that age now where uh, I'm 32 years old, but I was watching something and someone said, yeah, you know, being 35 is blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, 35 is like that. And I, I literally, after saying that, looked at, I was, I looked around and I was like, I'm 32. What am I talking about? So it has been a very long year and there's, there's, there's been a lot of very uh, a lot of madness, a lot of craziness. Obviously, we have the war in Ukraine and everything else that's gone with that. We're, we're hopefully entering the other end of this pandemic. But if you can give yourself uh, just a few seconds to reflect on the last year and if anything else, give yourself credit for all of the work that you've done, all of the good that you've done, all of the things that you did do, I think it's super valuable. And I think it's great to enter the new year. I think it's a good time to take that opportunity to do that. And I know it's difficult with the holidays. It's December and things are just going to fly by. But if you could take five minutes, ten minutes, and just reflect, uh, however it is. Maybe it's looking through pictures on your phone. There's the Spotify Unwrapped that we shared some of the stuff uh, this year where you get to look back at some actual data. And that's what it's about. It's review, see what worked, see what didn't and then go forward with 2023. So if you're trying to do anything with your life or build on anything else, uh, it's a great time for that. So I wanted to share that I did that, but I also wanted to reflect and say that just because I did that doesn't mean I have this master plan that I'm gonna work with. I go into it knowing that I'm gonna f it up. I go into it knowing that there are gonna be days where life is not gonna work and that's where Revision three of our plan for the next year, it's built into that. <laughs> it's built in that life will not uh, work out 100% and that I will have to adjust this over time. But I can now be more present in my daily life, which is something that I, I have struggled with a lot, especially when I'm stressed and uh, dealing with a lot of things. I, I can get very critical and complex and, and kind of just go away from the world and hide away, which I did for the last week um, as I was planning for this. And 
even though I think for a lot of people, the idea of making a schedule and planning out every minute of your day, which I have done, uh, sounds terrifying and I, oh, I would never do that. It's not to hammer yourself down and, and give yourself more restriction. It actually frees me up. It actually allows me to say and make those adjustments like a quarterback uh, at the line when the defense adjusts to the play that you just called. You have to call an audible. You see that there's actually a blitz coming. You need to move your lineman or pull the play to another side. It allows you to make the adjustments. And if and if I've found that if I don't do that, then it feels like I'm being dragged through life. And, and to be honest, I've put this on myself. I, I'm running two businesses, this podcast, EG3D Printing, and I work a full-time engineering job. So I also try and see friends and family, although that's something I'm working on improving for the next year and planning out time for that. Um, it's It actually has, a lot, has given me freedom to do that. So uh, because then ultimately, and this is, again, something I've learned from this podcast and, and running a small business, is that it's completely on me. All of it is. So if I can set that up where then I am in charge of uh, executing the plan and following through and making adjustments to that, I actually feel better about that. Uh, I think it's something that I lost as I went from high school into college and why I, I was in such a, a clouded space is I didn't know how to take control. I had so much freedom at that time. It's the exact opposite of what my life is now. I had so much freedom that I was basically losing my way entirely. And that's part of the reason why it took me seven years to graduate uh, with an undergraduate degree. Uh, but there's many, there's, there's more to that story, but we've talked about it before in the podcast and, and we're already going long here. So that's all to say, I hope that you have a great rest of the year. We are gonna be covering the next episode. Orion will have landed and we're gonna cover that. Uh, if we're able to, we may go live if we do. Um, it will probably be on Facebook or our YouTube channel, so go make sure you follow both of those. Subscribe, click the bell on our YouTube channel so that you can get notifications if we do go live and for every episode that comes out after. Uh, that's it, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, yeah, that's it. Spread love, spread science. Have a great, great rest of your week. Let's wish Orion a, uh, a safe splashdown. Uh, a, a solid burn through the atmosphere, and uh, and here's to Artemis two and beyond, and whatever's to come, that's going to allow us to send the first woman and the first person of color to step foot on the moon with Artemis three. That's it, folks. Have a good one. See ya.